Father, once again, as Pastor prayed, we ask you this morning that you will please replenish our hearts uh, that have been worn out through the week by sin, by the old nature, by the devil, by the value system of this world. I pray that you will please, O Lord, sanctify us by thy word. Oh, how hungry we are, how thirsty we are, how tired we are, how much we need to be rejuvenated this morning by thy word. Lord, we come as if we were coming to a banquet. We come as if we were going to a resort. We come as if, O Lord, we are coming to a long lost family reunion. We come, O Lord, as if we are coming not so much to give, but so much to take, to receive and receive and receive. For in that lies your glory, O Lord, for you can ever give and never, we can never exhaust, O Lord, your treasury. For we come to the throne on which grace is seated. For we come, O Lord, to the throne from which mercy proceeds. For we are well aware that apart from your mercy and grace, we can never behold your face. Where holiness dwells, where righteousness and justice are the foundations. O Lord, we are feeble. We are not as strong as we pray to be, as we preach to be, as we appear to be, as we sing to be. We know, we know ourselves. We are hollow without, without thy throne in our hearts. So we pray this morning that you will feed us. We want to be fed. We want to be satisfied. Lord, when we sleep and we wake up, we feel rejuvenated. We want that to happen today. When we eat, we are satisfied. We want that to happen today. When we drink water, cool water, on a hot day, we feel satisfied. Oh Lord, come meet us. For in that lies your glory. We want you to display your glory to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now in the year 2016, India went through a minor financial glitch in the month of November called demonetization. A government wanted to totally do away with the old denominations and come up with the new ones and uh, they did so well. But within three months time, according to one article in Times of India, uh, from Bangladesh, fake notes have been produced. So the RBI, uh, they came up with the new denomination note, the 2000 rupee note, and uh, in which there were 17 key features, 17 key features to recognize the notes that have been published or the denominations that have been published by our government or the Reserve Bank of India. I want to start off with a question this morning. I want you to pay attention. Imagine you have a note in your hand, a 2000 rupee note, a denomination, where you have 15 key features present. Assuming that one minor key feature is missing, would you call it an original note or a fake one? Now, assuming that it's a very minor one, let's say the glasses of Gandhiji are missing. <laughs> Would you call it a, ma- a, a original note or a fake note? What will you do with the 15 similarities that you have with the original note? What will you do with the 15 key features that resonate or that strike a note with the original note? What do you do with that? You can't do away... With that saying, you can't just get away by saying, I have 15 key features, a minor one is missing. That won't work. 
whereas you have a note which has 16 key features but assuming that the note is a little worn out is it still an original note trampled is it still an original note assuming that somebody spat on it is it still an original note why because the key features the parameters are met right now the reason i started with this illustration is to bring to your notice something that is of infinite value than just a 2000 rupee note and that is your salvation you could have 15 key features that look like you belong to christ but in the word we have been given the prescription of who belongs to christ and who does not i just want to say this okay there could be those who are here who are never born again and may i just tell you you're going to hell there are only two groups of people sheep and goat there is no buffering place in between you're either going to hell or heaven there are only two lines the line of cain the line of seth there's nothing called refrigerating system in between there's no hibernation place in between you are either here or there and the bible makes no mistake about clarifying and giving us a prescription of who belong to christ and who do not belong to christ just like the rbi of our country reserve bank of india has presented this 16 key features that can give you a personal understanding to know what is an original note and what isn't you and i also are given in the word of god key features about who belong to christ and who do not i've been in the ministry for 12 years more than the years of my salvation and i have seen how people who have professed to be christians have never belonged to christ now in a church like this where there is solid teaching one might wonder do we really need to have a subject like this this morning oh yes you know paul one of the longest times that he spent was in the place called corinth to plant a church in corinth is like planting a church in las vegas it's a place where sin was not just legalized but celebrated 18 months he worked there and it is no less than the miracle of god's grace that the church was planted there he wrote four letters two of them are missing only two are canonized in the scripture he wrote the most number of words to this church 28 chapters 16 in the first 13 in the last yet after all these years of ministry the so much of longing probably this was one of the dearest churches to his heart there was sin there outside and inside the church also yet after writing so much spending so much of time in the last chapter second corinthians you don't have to turn there 13th chapter fifth verse he reminds the church believers he says if you think you're standing in the faith watch out unless you meet the test you're not going to be part of this peter writing his last epistle letter to the persecuted church in second peter chapter 1 verse 6 or 7 he says make sure that you spend diligent time to know if you're elected or not my friends he's rocking or he's writing to a set of believers to whom he has already written and encouraged them in the first letter as to how they should conduct themselves in times of persecution and yet to the same church writing his second letter he says make sure make sure you belong to christ or not can i just say this the greatest the most important the only valuable question that you can ever ask on this side of eternity is 
Do I belong to Christ or not? Is my name written in the book of life or not? Everything else is immaterial. And I just want to remind what Bill Gates said. If you are born poor, it's not your problem. But if you die poor, but my problem is we are dying, Bill Gates. It's not like rich people live forever. That is why Jesus summarized it in one statement. One statement, what does it profit a man against the whole world? And when the Bible talks about particularly the world, he's talking about the entire created part. You gain the entire universe, you lose your soul, you're gone. Because hell is a reality. And hell is too long a place, a time for you to be wrong about your own destiny and God. This morning I want us to go to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to take, uh, we're going to study from verse 13 down to 28. And this is serious business. There are young people here, there are older people here. I want to just say what Paul told the Corinthian church. Make sure, if you are standing, make sure you are born again. I want to tell what Peter said to the church. Be diligent to know your election. Because Jesus did not say you will know the tree by its leaves. You can have a lot of leaves. Christian talk, Christian name, Christian appearance. So much like a Christian that you can even be observed from an obituary column. But let me tell you, let me tell you, Jesus said you will know the tree by its fruit. Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 now. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and suffer many things and from the hands from the hands of uh, from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying far be it from you lord this shall never happen to you but he turned and said to peter get behind me satan you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the first exclusive passage in the New Testament where our Lord Jesus Christ Himself spoke about the church. Everything else followed later from the pens of the apostles inspired by the Spirit of God. But this is the exclusive passage in the New Testament where our Lord Jesus Christ punctuated in this passage 
in the discourse that he had with his disciples about seven indelible, seven evidences or seven marks, seven key features of those who belong to Christ. So this morning I want to bring your attention to a meditation. I'm calling it Christ and his church. We're going to spend the rest of the time that we have this morning meditating from these verses seven key features, seven things that will be there in every church that truly belongs to Christ and every person who truly belongs to Christ. Today, if you are a believer, if you are a good student of God's word, you can point out to some churches and say they're not churches. A boy came to my house and we were talking, a young boy, a guy who used to come to a Bible study. And he said, somebody is going to the church. I said, that's not a church. That's not a church. If you sing Christian songs, if you have the name of a Christian, biblical name, if you have somebody called a pastor, if somebody preaches from the Bible, and if people come together who have Christian names, that is not a church. There are features given in the word of God to know what is the church, who belongs to Christ. Now, whatever is true of one single 2000 rupee denomination is also true of a bundle. So whatever is true of one believer is also true of a, of a corporate community that comes together called church. And hence, there could be people here who are part of the church and who are not part of the church also. Because probably you have 15 features that look like you belong and probably you don't never belong. And probably one of the most scariest things that you'll ever hear from the mouth of God is, depart from me, you lawless people, I have never known you. That is probably the scariest words to hear from the lips of our Lord, our Savior, God. When he says, I have never known you, And that's why I tremble to constantly look into my own self and know that I belong to him or not. And that is why the apostles, inspired by the Spirit, have penned those words for us to know, to those who are born again, to know diligently if we are part of the elect or not, if we belong to the Lord or not, if we are part of his church or not. I want to present to you this morning seven key features about Christ and his church. Let's look at the first part. Look at this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, you know, being the spokesperson for the entire discipleship, disciples gang, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Number one truth. Number one truth, a person who belongs to Christ or a church that belongs to Christ is marked by, number one, revelation. If you're writing it down, that's the first word, revelation, revelation. Revelation is a Latin word. Okay, there are a lot of Latin words that we use in English because um, um, Bible initially have been translated into Latin and other sources. As well. But listen to this, Latin is a, uh, revelation is a Latin word which means literally to unveil. To uncover. You have a bride standing before the bridegroom. That probably she's covered her face. And revelation means to uncover. And what is a true believer marked by? What is a true church marked by? Revelation. And what revelation was given to Peter, we will discuss. But before that, let us look at some historical and geographical background here. Where did Jesus ask this question? Caesarea Philippi. Now listen to this. 
Jesus, in his journey with the disciples, asked a lot of questions. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, 80 plus questions were mentioned, out of which 40 plus were asked by Jesus. The first words and the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are a question. He loved asking questions. In fact, most rabbis asked questions. In fact, sometimes when you come to a rabbi, a Pharisee, and ask a question, instead of an answer, they'd say, that's a wonderful question, why, don't you, why do you want to exchange for an answer? They loved questions. And Jesus had this way of introducing themes, concepts, ideas, revelations by a way of asking questions. And probably in my understanding, of all the questions he asked, this is the pinnacle question. This is a question that determines the destiny of not only the apostles, but of every man who walks the planet. And hence, this is a universal question. But he asked this question at a very particular geographical location. That is Caesarea Philippi. Why that place? This place, Caesarea Philippi, was named after the emperor. Because emperor worship was common those days. Pharaohs were worshipped, Ptolemies were worshipped, Caesars were worshipped. And therefore, he brought them to a place which was near Jordan. And then he asked this question. It was a place, according to one um, theologian, actually there are 14 temples, no less than 14 temples. There were this worship of the old Baal worship going on there. There were this worship of ancient Greek gods, mythologies and all of that. And then you have this towering pile of glistening marble that was built by Herod to Caesar. Jesus brings the disciples to this place. On one side you have this ancient gods and demons of Baal worship. The other side this <laughs> gods of Greek. The other side there's this emperor worship of Caesar himself. And in the midst of all this, on the mount where Jesus climbed to show his transfigured nature, under the mountain was a cave, a cavern in which there was, there seemed to be a god called Pan, a god of nature. Amidst all these gods and goddesses and ideas and philosophies, Jesus sets this as the backdrop and throws this question and expects to hear the answer, I am the son of God. Jesus asked this question. Now what did the disciples answer? Uh, Sorry, what did the crowds answer? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah and one of the prophets. Now why these four answers? Why these four answers? Probably, when they looked at Jesus, this is how they appear, he appeared to them. John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was a ferocious preacher of righteousness. And Jesus was no less. So probably when they looked at Jesus, the crowds thought he was John the Baptist. And why Elijah? Elijah was one man known for miracles. Nobody came close to him, not even Moses. Right? He was the only man in the Old Testament who had raised the dead. And Jesus was raising the dead like... It was, it was no big deal, like no man's business. Right? So probably they looked at him and said, he is one of the mightiest prophets, Elijah. And why Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, right? And Jesus wept. Every time he went to Jerusalem, he wept, probably. Every time, probably, I believe he preached on hell, he wept. At the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he wept. He wept more than probably most of us do. And therefore they looked at him and said probably Jeremiah. And one of them probably, some of them probably thought he was a prophet. Why? Because nobody preached like him. Four responses came. What is interesting is not the response. But how Jesus chooses to ignore the response. 
and then moves on and makes the question personal to the disciples. Well, who do you say I am? Now listen, the question is not about Jesus' identity. It's not like he, he lost his identity and is trying to regain. No, he always knew who he was. But the question is basically to bring them to a point of understanding who he was or who he should be to them. And Jesus says this, who do you say I am? Let's pause here. Ask yourself this question. Who do you say Jesus is? He's not saying, who am I? Who do you say he is? That is going to define your time, your eternity. Who do you say I am? Said Jesus. To which Peter answers, verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. Can we read that part please? Jesus answered him. Wow, what a word. How little we know of God's blessings, right? You have a thanksgiving when? Let's say you have a hike in your salary. Let's say you're promoted. Let's say your visa is approved. Listen, that's not a blessing. Not as much as this is. You have a thanksgiving and God gives you the revelation of who he is. And let me tell you, if you know who he is, you are the strongest, the wisest, the richest man living on this planet, not Jeff Bezos. Why do I say that? Because God says that. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, rich man boast in his riches, strong man in his strength, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows me and understands me, that I am a God who exercises righteousness, kindness and justice every day. Revelation. But what is this revelation? We've heard so much. I've been coming here for over a year and a half now. Heard so much, learned so much, grew so much. Me and my wife as a family, we did. But ask yourselves this question. What is revelation actually? This is revelation. To know God as He is, is the revelation. Not to have information about salvation, information about life and reality, information about X, Y, Z. No! Revelation is to see God uncovering His face before us. Is to see God show off His nature to us. Is to see God display His infinite beauty to us. And what is His infinite beauty? In this man, God was pleased to make all his deity dwell. And they, read, they were given the revelation to know that this man that we see, this poor, penniless, homeless carpenter that we see, this man who is hated by the best of the theologians available at that time, is no man. Is God himself. Is God in flesh. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now I want you to please follow the order. Three Gospels record, rather three evangelists record this part. Matthew, Mark and Luke. Luke probably is the clearest of all. You are the Christ of God. And here, look at the order. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, most of us probably do not have a problem believing that Jesus is God. None of us will bow down to an idol. No. Most of us don't even have a problem believing that Jesus is the Son of God. The second person in the Trinity. Most of us probably won't even have a problem believing that Jesus is the Son of God. But the problem comes when you have to confess. Or when revelation comes to you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Why? What's the meaning of the word Christ? Christ and Messiah are the same words. Greek and Hebrew. The anointed one. Friends, listen, there's never a time in time itself where God appointed a man to be worshipped. Except when one man came down. Where it is Christ himself. God himself when he came down in flesh. Now Peter, the fisherman, who is probably the most ignorant of all, looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, which means Savior, you are the anointed one of God, the son of the living God himself. Now what's the big deal about this revelation? What's the big deal about this revelation? Look at this, what Jesus says. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Because that marked the beginning of an eternal journey for both the disciples and for the rest of the church. Because upon this revelation, the entire understanding of God is going to be given to the apostles and to the church. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. I was quoting, I think in the VBS, uh, brother L.T. Jaychandran. He said, for most of us, our theology begins at Genesis 3. I am a sinner. And ends with gospels. God is the savior. But have you ever observed that God doesn't introduce himself in the Bible as the father or as the savior, but as the creator? My friends, listen. We do not worship a man who is claiming to be God. We worship a God who has come down to be man. That's why we don't follow the words of a dead man. You, you give me religion, that is dead man's words. You give me the word of God. This is the man who defeated death. He's God. He's always been the son of the living God. He's always been the Christ. He chose to become your savior. In that sense, he's not always the savior. You can correct me if I'm wrong later. But understand this, he's always been God. He's always been king. That is the confession of Nebuchadnezzar when he came to know the Lord. For your kingdom endures forever. For your dominion lasts forever. By nature, God is king. The king. The only monarch, the supreme one. The one who rules. But in time, space and history, he chose to become your savior and my savior. And listen, my brother and sister, if you are not born again here, when you go to hell, you deserve the punishment for you have rejected the offer of this divine, eternal, immortal king who chose to become man for you and suffered hell in your place and my place. This is the revelation. That he, being God, forever, the king, chose to became, chose to become your savior and my savior. So what is the mark of a person who belongs to Christ? A church that belongs to Christ? They have this revelation. Again, revelation is not just information because Dr. Zakir Naik knows much more than most Christians know about the Bible. He can quote verses. He's a Muslim apologist. He can quote verses like this. Really. There were two thieves on the cross. For one, it was information. The other guy, it was revelation. Revelation is knowing who he is. And that is why of all the people, he said, you are the king. Remember me in your kingdom. Who will look at a dying man, a helpless dying person and say, you are the king. Remember me. Oh, revelation. To know God as he is. That will mark the beginning of a journey in your life with God as he reveals himself to you endlessly. Revelation, to know him as he is. Number two, look at this. 
Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The second thing, communication. What marks the life of a believer? What marks the life of a church? If the church belongs to Christ, if the believer belongs to Christ, communication. This revelation cannot come to any person by personal research. Never, never. That's why Dr. Ravi in one of his sermons says, the seeker must first know that he sought. Your pursuit of search is actually the work of God in you to look for him. I think John Flavel, the old Puritans used to say, God's work is like the Hebrew alphabet. You must read it backwards. After it is over, you understand that it was all the work of God. In hindsight, you look back and say, it is the work of God. So how does this revelation of who God is as he is comes to the believer, the church? Communication. Communication. What is this communication? The word of God. Look at this. Look at these words. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Let me just make another comment on that word, blessed. I am sure Peter would have had a lot of troubles in his life. Problems in his life. Probably his fishing business was not going too well. Probably his mother-in-law was falling too ill too many times. He must have had a lot of problems. But in God's sight, he was a blessed man. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. Okay? (laughs) You are a blessed person. It doesn't matter. Because one day will come where your fishing business will not cross that shore. Where your illness will not cross that shore to the other side. We will leave them here. You are a blessed person. I am a blessed person. What is blessing? To have God. Let me just remind you the words of C.S. Lewis. A believer who has everything and has God has nothing more than a believer who doesn't have everything and still has God. Blessing. Blessing. Blessed are you, Simon. How did this blessing come? Not flesh and blood. What is flesh and blood? It is a way of referring to human reasoning. It is a way of referring to human analysis. See, all the people saw the same person. I, when I was younger, I used to think, if only I was born during the times of Jesus, probably I would have believed him even more. Because my reasoning was, looking at the miracles, listening to the sermons, seeing the dead people rise back to life, demons in themselves cringing before Jesus. That was my reasoning. But let me tell you, all of them saw. All of them saw. But it was flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. Why is it that for some people in his own church, in this very church is so much of information given about God, revelation given about God. But see, nothing. It is flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. Wake up before it is too late. But you will be like Esau if you don't. Even if you (coughs) seek with tears, it shall not be granted to you. For there will come a day if you do not, before it is too late. So the point is this. Flesh and blood can only bring you so far. Can only call Jesus a prophet. Can only call Jesus a good man, a legend, or a liar, or a demon, or Beelzebub, or a madman. Flesh and blood. But Jesus looks at this guy, this group of people, and say, This has been given to you from my father. From my father. Now, I want to spend more time here bringing your attention to understanding how does God communicate. Because there's a lot of, lot of wrong teaching around And there could be a lot of wrong teaching within your own life, though you're coming to this church, as Pastor James would say, because we are tuned into a lot of stations. May I say this? It is through the word that God communicates. It is only through the word that God communicates. 
And I am up for a challenge. If you have any doubts, we can sit and debate. Because let us let the word settle it once and for all. How does God speak? Hebrews 1.1 1, 1. God in the past spoke to our fathers in many ways, but not so now. But in these last days. Last days are not technically talking about the end days. The final part of Revelation. In these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son. Through His Son. So, how does God speak? How does this revelation, how is this revelation communicated to us? My father, how does the father speak? Let me just take you to a couple of verses. How does the father reveal himself? First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 to 16. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who, what a statement that is. For God has prepared for those, for, for those who, but most, more often than not we stop there, we pause there. We wonder at and say, wow, what is this that God has prepared for me? Look at the next verse. These things God has revealed to us. Who is Paul writing to? Believers. To believers it has been revealed. What? Through the Spirit. So how does the Father communicate the revelation about who He is, which is revealed in the Son through the Spirit? Look at the triune perfect work of God. Father, through the Spirit, in the Son, reveals the revelation. You might well ask this question. How does he reveal it to us now? Look at this. Look at this. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of a person? Which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God. Now pause. Somebody might raise a question here saying, Okay. Apostle Paul is saying, he has received the spirit. Have you not received the spirit? Oh yes, we have received the spirit. Does that mean the revelation will be given? No. John chapter 16, you don't have to go there. Jesus, looking at the disciples, says, listen to this very carefully. Looking at the disciples, says, I have many more things to tell you. Remember that phrase? I have many more things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, what will he do? He used a definite article there. The truth. Which means what? Everything God wants you to communicate on this side of eternity will be given to you through the apostolic commission that was assigned to them. That is why if there was any person who could write Bible, who could write a book in the Bible, it is Jesus. He never penned. You ever thought about it? Because it was not assigned to him. If there is anybody who could write, my friends, brothers, sisters, parents, it is Jesus. He never penned. It was an assignment assigned by the Father in his son through the spirit to the apostles. And in Ephesians 2.20, the Bible says, the chief cornerstone is Christ. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Revelation has been sufficiently and completely given to the church for all ages within the pages of the scripture and the commission was only to the apostles. So, can it come to me? No. Can it come through me? I'm sorry. No. Can it come to me? Oh yes, it is written here. Look at this. Let me just read it to you to help you understand more. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. But look at this. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And all of that. Come down to verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord? Wait a minute. Where is he quoting this from? You should be knowing. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is, is one of the pinnacle chapters to Isaiah himself. Why? Because it is in this chapter, God reveals his glorious nature in just in one chapter. And then, after exhausting himself writing about the revelation of God, Isaiah comes to this point and says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? It is another way of saying, Omniscient God. 
omnipotent in his omniscience. Right? Paul takes that verse and then see what he says. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Can we read the next two verse please? Can we read church? Hallelujah! You have the mind of Christ in the pages of scripture. Is it too small a thing? Is it too trivial a thing that you are carrying in your hands on the pages of the scripture, the mind of God? How does God communicate? How does God communicate? How does this revelation of this infinite God come to us through the word? Through the word. My friends, listen. That is why he is not an impartial God. He is not just God of the Enoch's and the Elijah's and the Paul's and the Bhakti Singh's. No, he is God of the dying thief on the cross. He is the God of your life and my life. For he has committed to you because he married you irrespective of who you are, how wretched you are, how, how gomerish you are. He has married you and he shall give his mind to you. That is why he says, seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So number one revelation, a believer, a church, that is Christ, is marked by the revelation of who he is. But how does this revelation come? Through the word. But I want to spend a little more time and I want to take you through a few scriptures. So please bear with me this train of thought. I will take you through a string of verses. I want you to know, as we go through these scriptures, how much God has elevated his word. I'm sure all of us know this verse, right? Psalm 138 verse 2. You don't have to flash it there. What does it say? You have exalted your word. What does it mean above your name? The word is the only place where you can have the clearest, surest, purest understanding of God's nature. It's not like God's word is about God's name. No. The word of God is the point from which your eyes will be sanctified to see the absolute beauty of God. And no wonder Psalm 119, the psalmist says to everything, to every perfection there is a limit, not to your word. So, if God communicates to us through the word, what are our benefits? Number one, number one, we find the presence of God in the word of God. Look at this, John 5, 37 to 40. Bear with me as I take you through this verse. It's very important and you have to please pull out your uh, imagination uh, out a bit. Just see the logic that Jesus is using here. And the Father, Jesus is talking to those who, who are refusing to believe him. And the Father who sent me has himself. Now the question is, when did the Father bear witness? We'll come back to it. And how did he bear witness in his own voice? So the question is, when did the father bear witness about Jesus Christ with his own voice? And let's follow. You have never heard him or not have seen his father. Wait a minute. Jesus, our Lord is saying, my father, he in his own form, with his own voice, bore witness, not about himself, but about me. That is too much to say. And you know who his opponents were? Pharisees. And they knew the scripture front back in. He then knew it. Part of the deal to be in the Sanhedrin is to be, you have to be thorough with the law. And to them Jesus challenges and says, my father in his own voice, in his own form came and testified about my, about me. When did the father do? With his own voice, in his own form. Go down see. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Can we read the next part please? But it is they that bear witness. Pause. Initially he said my father bore witness. And now he says 
the scriptures bore witness. My friend, listen. It is in the scriptures that you, through the revelation that the Spirit of God gives to you, you will begin to see the form of God. You will have an experience of the presence of God, of the voice of God. I hope you understood. Father bore witness in his own voice, in his own form, about the Son, in the witness of the scriptures. And therefore, the word of God is given as a witness to help you experience the presence of God. Why is it that so many people have this dearth for the presence of God? Why do we look for it in this place? Why do we look only for it when we come as a corporate group? Because we have stopped finding His presence in His word as we submit ourselves to Him. I can't say more than that. I'm saying less than that actually. May I say this? I'm not, I am not as strong as I'm preaching. This is my problem. And I'm sure this is your problem too. Where are you looking for the presence of God? My father has borne witness in his own voice and in his form in the testimony of the scriptures. Number two. Number two. John 14, 21 to 23. Whoever has my commands and keeps them. He it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved my father and I will love him. And Can we read that part please? I like the NIV rendering. Show myself to him. How many of you want to see God? Not after you die. You have no options. Now. You want to. He is more eager to show himself to you than you are. But where? Obedience, not just the scriptures. For Zachariah knows a lot. Judas knows a lot. The devil knows a lot. It is in obedience to the scriptures. So the second thing, it is in obedience to the word. In the word, the form of the father, the voice of the father, the manifestation of God has been given to the church. But the manifestation comes at only one cost and that is obedience and that's why Genesis 12 1 says the Lord spoke to Abraham Genesis 12 4 says Abraham went because God says go Genesis 12 7 says the Lord appeared and spoke to Abraham what happened between God speaking and God appearing obedience took place Moses 3 God speaks to Moses but he hides his face he can't see what happens in Exodus 33 he sees God why obedience took place he went to Egypt Job 42 what does Job say so far my ears have heard but my now And same thing is Jesus repeating here. You obey, I will show myself to you. Do you have the guts to obey? I will reveal myself to you. And that is an open challenge to the church. And the church is hungry. We are in a dearth to see the face of God. Many are asking, oh Lord, who will show us any goodness? Let your face shine upon us. And he is saying, if you have only responded to my rebuke, Proverbs chapter 1, if you have only responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my spirit to you, my thoughts to you. I say this so much to myself, not just to you. Let's look at the next one. We know this, Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. What came to Jonah? All those who are awake, awake please. Awake yourselves. What does the word say? The Lord didn't come. Right? And God tells Jonah, brother, go this side. Jonah goes this side. Instead of Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish. See the way God presents it. But he went away from the... My friends, to go away from obeying the word is going away from enjoying the presence of God. Ah, the presence of God is not found in a place. It is found in the soul that is totally submissive to his word. 
for you know ye not that you yourselves are the temple of the spirit and the spirit of god dwells in you where do we find we saw where where we can find the presence of god number 2 where can we find the mind of god where can we find the mind of god we already read this where can we find the mind of god go to the next part we can only find the mind of god in the scriptures paul had the audacity to say this that we have the mind of christ why because the spirit of god took control of him to pen the scriptures for us and everyone who has the spirit, the word of god ruling their lives can say i have the mind of christ too and no wonder philippians 2 says let this mind be also in you how will that mind come listen not merely by reading meditating listening to preaching no obedience for it is there for it is there we stand at the threshold of opening to experience the presence of god for until then we are led to the threshold to the door post it is in obedience that we will experience the presence of god so where do we find the presence of god the word where do we find the mind of god the word where do we find the work of god pastor was praying about this right look at first thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 We also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you have heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is the word of God can we read the next part Church do you want to know if God is working in you or not simple test are you obeying the word God is working in you See when plants grow you don't see an evidence every day and there's not a lot of noise when the presence of god is in your life and the work of god is going you don't you will not see evidence every day because it is both a project and a process and hence you go through this bouts of time where you say i am not experiencing the presence of god lie it's a lie because the presence of god will all the lord will always not manifest his complete revelation to you no for no man can bear the full blast of his revelation for he gently for he so gently works in us So this verse out of many verses that I'm going to quote today has encouraged me so much encouraged me so much to know every time I go down every time I say prayer is not answered I know God is working in me if I know I am obeying the word of God I know I know you read that verse anytime John 8:29 or 10:29 where Jesus says the one who sent me is always with me he has never left me why because I always do the things that simple why is that we miss experiencing the presence of god do you always do what pleases him that's the answer so where do we find the presence of god the scriptures where do we find the mind of god the scriptures where do we find the work of god in the in obedience to the scriptures let's go to the next one where do we find the grace of god now why am i talking about the grace of god out of all the attributes of god because it is by grace we are saved and it is by the very same grace that we are prepared for eternity and it is the very display of god's grace in his kindness that we will enjoy all of eternity are you with me what did i say now please bear attention okay see this paul says in titus chapter 2 the grace of god has appeared to all men and what does the grace of god do it saves you it teaches you to be holy and it prepares you for eternity but the question is how is this grace dispensed is it some feeling it does it come down on me when somebody puts their hand on me and prays no for if god were to do that he is doing less than what he did in the old testament for he has made us today priests you and i are priests the priesthood of all believers has been given to us so how is the grace of god which empowers me from uh, being uh, 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 which which saves me and empowers me to live a holy life and prepares me for eternity is dispensed how is this grace dispensed 
the answer. Look at this. Paul is talking to the elders of Ephesian church. Okay? And he says, and now I command you to God. Pause. Is it not sufficient to commend or to commit them to God? Is God incapable? No. The Lord in his wisdom dispenses his power, his everything through his grace, through his word. Did you get it? God is impartial. God is impartial. Just the other day I was listening to stories about Brother Bhakta Singh. A man whom God used so powerfully in this land. And it hit me suddenly that I am no less to experience his presence or power. For he has given himself to me. Then why is that man different? Remember one lady came and asked the pastor it since. Why is it that out of all the twelve, only John was given the privilege to lay his head at the bosom of Jesus? And the pastor replied, everybody was given the chance. He chose to be there. You are given, I am given. No wonder Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15, looking at all the other apostles, how dare he? I worked harder than all the apostles. But yet he says, not me, grace. What does it mean? Grace makes you work harder than before. Once you become the child of God, you're dead. Because the grace of God kills that old nature and empowers you to slog like never before. Like you're dying in another minute to live forever. And you give your all to seek the only worthy thing and that is God. So where is the presence of God in the scriptures? Where is the mind of God in the scriptures? Where are we given the work of God in the scriptures? Where do we find this dispensation of the grace of God in the scriptures? Look at Second Peter 1, 16 to 21. What is Peter saying in his last letter? We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were... So basically, Peter is referring to the transfiguration event. Peter is saying, I didn't just come and tell you stories and fables like most preachers today are doing. I'm not. I was an eyewitness. And then he says, not only an eyewitness, I heard, or rather we, because Peter, James and John, we heard this voice. My friends, listen to this. If Pastor James were to tell you, I heard the voice of God. I literally saw Jesus in his glory. An average church today will exalt that experience. Will, will like Old Testament idol worship, New Testament icon worship. So we will replace this idol, we'll place Pastor James or, or whatever, you know, your favorite pastor is. See the apostle. What does he say? Let's move to the next one. And we have the, and what does he say? And what should we do? Guard yourselves. Guard yourselves. No man deserves the glory. No experience deserves the glory. For he has exalted his word above everything else. Paul, Peter is saying, Peter is not even Paul. I mean, not a joke. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter is saying, I have seen it, guys. And out of the three, only two are alive, me and John. So therefore you can take my testimony. I saw, I heard and this is out of the world. And then he says, but wait a minute. What should you do? Word. By the way, the word prophetic again is not prophecy. The entire counsel of the scripture. You have the word with you. And my friends, we are in a better era than they were. Because they were freshly receiving Second Peter. We have it for ages now. 
you have the whole counsel of scripture what should we do then more fully conform to which you will do well to pay Jonathan Edwards took his Bible Jonathan Edwards took his Bible tore every page restitched it with an empty page because he wanted to study every line what are we doing I feel I feel we are drowning in information while starving for revelation because so much is available online sermons information background study that should add to our advantage not stop us from seeking him all the more so what did i say the word of god is gives you the presence of god the mind of god the grace of god the work of god and then you also see no experience can match with the word put your experiences down they're good they build you but it is ultimately the word that must drive you you must do even more you must pay more attention to teach to seek the scriptures now this is my favorite verse go to psalm 119:10 that is why the psalmist says i seek you with all my heart and what does he say he is not saying i seek you with all my heart don't let me wander away from you he is saying i seek you with all my heart don't let me wander from you it is where do you seek god not in the wilderness but in the abundance of his word you don't have to go to a serene place to seek god it is in the scriptures and he says i seek you with all my heart christian homes christian families fathers mothers parents are starving for the presence of god god is saying why starve yourself come feast on my abundance as i lay my word before you i seek you with whole heart let me not wander from your commandments so what is a true believer and a true church marked by the revelation of who god is number 2 this revelation is given through communication number 3 number 3 we shall race no please fasten your seat belts we are going to race a little right look at verse 18 matthew chapter 16 that's our base text jesus said right you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal but my father in heaven did and i tell you you are peter and on this rock i will build my church oh what a havoc has been wrecked through this verse roman catholic church has skewed up the interpretation of this verse why the third mark or the third evidence of a believer a key feature of a true church and a true believer that belongs to christ is foundation foundation you can also say foundation and demonstration they have the revelation of who god is through the communication of the father in the spirit by the word third thing which becomes the foundation and there's also demonstration to that foundation and i tell you you are peter why that word i tell you authentication i am telling you you are peter and on this rock now greek there's a play of words here in greek there are peter and rock have the same meaning with different endings petros and petro okay jesus is saying you are peter right and let me tell you on the rock that has been given to you on the revelation that has been given to you i will build my church what is that revelation that jesus is not just the savior but the god who is the king who became my savior did you get it as why i told you when i preached last time salvation is the tip of the iceberg there's much more to come 
But do you know there will be employment in heaven? Do you know there will be jobs in eternity? But these are prelims. And that is the real thing to come. For all that you do here, your, your talents, your work, your knowledge, everything that you gather is the prelims. We are in the womb, maybe. For we shall see the daylight forever as we see the face of the Son of God. So, the third thing is this. Foundation. I want to ask you this question. What's your foundation today? I'm sure none of us will, will, will shy away from saying Jesus is. But the question is, is Christ the foundation? He saved you. Hallelujah. But is Christ the foundation? Which means, has he become the king in your life? Pastor makes a lot of statements. And one of the favorites probably I remember and I used it quite a few times in my Bible study was this. For it is not a game of thrones, but a battle of thrones. For there is a throne in your heart. There is a throne. And you and I can... It is inextricable friends throne and us are inextricable Jesus said on this rock which means on the revelation that has been given to you that I am the son of God the anointed of God to rule men forever on this I will build my church now if in your life you are saved and the building process has been stagnated could it be that he is not the king you remember the four kinds of soils? The seed was the same, the word, the sower was the same, right? Which is the only genuine soil? Fourth one. The three didn't belong. In the fourth, there are again levels. 30, 60. Why some 30, why some 60, why some 100? Depends on how much space you allow him to occupy in your lives. Is he the king? Foundation on this rock no other rock. No other rock. Which means, on the revelation that Christ is the king. And I, I want to say this, okay? Ever since this has been given to me a few months ago, this is the only thing God constantly rebukes me about, corrects me in, constantly, this is where I sin. Till the moment I'm preaching. And probably after I preach also. For this is our fight. Our fight is not with Satan. Because Jesus did not say, if you want to follow me, deny Satan. Or deny bad habits, deny drugs, deny pornography. No! Deny yourself. Because there can't be two monarchs. There's only one and it is me. If you have two heads, you're a monster. If you have no head, you're dead. And he says, I am the head. And then he says, on this rock, there are husbands here. You want to see joy in your family, Please allow Jesus to be the king of your life. And then you will treat your wife as the queen of your life. It doesn't work the other way around. There are wives here. You want to have a peaceful, joyful, heavenly ride. It's not about the husband. Forget about the husband. Because the context is not husband's the head. It is being filled with the spirit. It's interesting that the only passage in the New Testament where the exclusive command about being filled with the spirit is given, it doesn't talk about tongues. I'm not against tongues. Okay? There's the gift of the spirit. But let me tell you, the only exclusive passage in the Bible where there's a command given saying, be filled with the spirit, doesn't mention about tongues. But what does it mention about? It mentioned about the spirit-filled life. And that is seen at different spheres of life. As a husband and wife, as parents, and then as workers in the community, and then finally as ministers, and then fighting with the enemy. 
Fighting with the enemy comes at the end. You need the filling of the spirit, not for ministry. Ministry is an outcome of what happens in the family. Is Work is an outcome of what happens in the family. Fighting with the devil. The devil is already won. Why? Because there's so many loopholes in your family. You see that? Did Ananias and Sapphira speak in the tongues? I don't know. But with the same tongue they spoke lies. So I want to encourage you this morning to come back to this truth. What is the foundation in your life and in my life? See, once you are born again, you are never going to help. From the scripture, that's my understanding. But I want to say this. Your ride is going to go thump, thump, bum, bum. And your tendency is to blame the road. My wife is like this. My husband is like this. My children are like this. I'm not getting enough sleep. X, Y, Z. I was just telling my wife the other day. There was never a time in my life I thought I will say praise God when the bottles of my son are washed. You know what God is trying to work in me? He's telling me, you're not the king. You'll frustrate yourself. I am the king. Listen to me. Through every single bit of every single thing going on, that's what he's teaching me. Foundation. On this rock, I will build my church. There's no other rock. There's no other rock. Get back to the rock. He's the king. Number two. Look at those five words. I will build my church. Number one, I. Possessive. It is he who is going to be the designer, creator, possessor, completer of this project. Number two, will. Absolutely certain. Number three, build. It is both a project and a process. Number four, my. It is his church. You don't have to worry. You are his Your salvation, your sanctification is his job. Your headache is to submit, that's all. We don't win by fighting but by submitting. Fifth one, church. Which means only the church he will build. Which means only the called out ones he will build. Others he will not. For they can be part of even power packed ministry like Judas was. He went and performed miracles, preached the gospel. But he never belonged to Christ. So what are you trying to say here? If the revelation has been given to you, you are a true believer, you are a true church, and that comes through the communication of the word, which brings you to the foundation. You see, you can't even miss the order here. The revelation doesn't come through the communication, and only through the word it comes. You will never come to the foundation, which is Christ the King. Christ the King. There is war going on in heaven for worship right now, for ages now. Satan wants, but Jesus alone will be worshipped. And to the church, he has given that exclusive privilege saying, come, I'll be your head. Come. Is it a trivial matter that the infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, everlasting treasure and pleasure called God should be at your dispense to be your head? Is it a trivial matter? But what is the demonstration that I am being built on this Rock, is there an evidence? Oh yes, see what he said. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. So how do I know that uh, he is, I am on the rock and he is building my life, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Simple understanding of the actual meaning of the gates of hell is you will not be condemned. You are not going to hell. Now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? You are born again, you are saved, you are with him. But the other meaning, the in-depth meaning, probably if you take the whole counsel of the scripture, also means That as soon as you are born again, as soon as Christ becomes your head, know for sure you are in a battle. Right? That's why somebody said, Christian life is not a playground, it's a... And therefore no holidays. Right? No holidays. 
we are fighting. Albeit not for victory, but from victory. And then Jesus says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what is the demonstration that you are being built? Gates of hell shall not prevail. But look at the next verse. Next part. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. A misinterpretation of this will help you understand Peter standing with the keys. You seen those big pictures in Rome and other places? And in all these skewed up interpretation, even in their jokes, Peter is standing at the gates of heaven. That's not what it means. This rock to the church, I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The gospel message. How do I know? Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the louder. This is the kingdom of heaven. It is to the church. The message of the proclamation of the gospel has been given. Only we can open to the world, to the perishing world. We can open an empty hell by the preaching of the gospel. And you and I have that. But listen please. It is not in the power of the preachers. It is in the power or it is in the life of every believer who lives upon this foundation. If you are a person, it doesn't matter whether you can speak or not. If you are a person who is built on this rock, God will use your life. Your life. As the gospel message to bring people. She was an excommunicated person. Jesus turned her into an evangelist. She was a wanderer. Jesus turned her into a worshipper. Samaritan woman. No less than three hours ago, or probably a few hours ago, she was just contemplating whether to keep this guy or move on. Probably. Jesus turned her. Who could have thought that a person like this perishing can become the evangelist for the entire village? So it is not about how much I know, how much I can preach. No. No. We are not as good as we appear to be. I'm telling that so that you don't have to hear it from our wives. We are not as good. God is good. God will work. God can use any person, any any person here. He can work. He can work, friends. The question is, What's the foundation? Because on the foundation, that demonstration will take place. Gates of hell shall not prevail. He will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's why in all the Beatitudes, only two have is. The rest have shall. Which means, the blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom, which is now. The rest are in the future. Are you understanding? Are we tired? Because I don't see this when Pastor James is preaching. I hope you're listening. So how do I know if I'm being built on the foundation? There's a demonstration. Gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will become, I will become the gospel. Not just preaching the gospel. I will become the gospel. And whatever I bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever I lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Please let me tell you, there's no other interpretation to this. The idea here is, you will live in alignment to the will of the heaven. That's why Jesus taught us, our father, Hallowed be your name. How will it happen? Let your kingdom come. How will that kingdom come? Let your... In other words, your will will be so aligned with God's will that your will is God's will. That you know for sure what you are doing. And sometimes people like Elijah and Elisha didn't even say God says this. They just said it. Why? They were in alignment with God. Absolute alignment with God. See, this microphone is just a microphone until I begin to use it. And therefore God is not expecting people, vessels. He can use it like anything he wants. Become a vessel. And that can only happen when the foundation is Christ who takes over your entire life and works in it. 
let me take you to one verse Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 and 23 please pay careful attention to this and God put all things under Jesus feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to what the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills in all now what does the you don't have to go there what does the previous verse say he has exalted him above all principalities powers and names that can be mentioned in this age or in the the question if jesus is the head what is the church body if the bo- church is the body and if god has exalted jesus to the highest of places and everything is under his feet which is basically the satanic powers then under whose feet should the powers of satan be louder your feet no wonder paul writes god of peace shall soon crush satan underneath your feet we are in for a bigger battle than you know this is the demonstration but listen the key is in who's your head you can be born again and still swerve from the head a lot of times <laughs> how easy christian life will be if we only obey god how difficult we make it right jonah was commanded to go to nineveh he went to nineveh the choice was his whether we'll have a boat ride or a whale ride he will end up there only you are born again you are in the master's hands how will you go there you choose boat ride or the whale ride you will end up there and he wants you and me to enjoy the journey so that when you're beaten black and blue in the prison you have a worship night there as paul and silas because the devil knows that he can kill saul and paul or silas but not the jesus in them so the revelation is who god is the only way to know it is through the word communication because the spirit of god has authenticated it and the communication leads you to the foundation that is if this is who god is then he should be the head foundation no other foundation he shall build upon but upon christ that means king the ruler and then there's a demonstration the evidence gates of hell shall not prevail the keys of the kingdom of heaven are being used by you or rather you become the gospel message and then you are in absolute alignment with heaven the fourth one time never gets over when we preach here <laughs> the fourth one let's go back to matthew chapter 16 look at this verse 20 then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the christ From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You know to be part of Jesus discipleship group is the most surprising adventure you'll ever have. They just received the revelation from the Father through the Spirit that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God and then Jesus gave them this eternal promise promise of dominance saying you are going to surpass every power that is there. and then jesus says don't tell anybody it's like buying you a coke and not letting you drink if you are a coke fan what is this jesus is strictly charged don't tell anyone so the fourth mark of every church and every believer is proclamation proclamation revelation communication becomes the foundation there's a demonstration 
and the fourth one is proclamation. But what not to proclaim first before we know what to proclaim? Jesus said, do not tell that I am the Christ. And can we read that part C? From that time, which means before that time, he never spoke this. Which is basically in the gospel of Matthew, Mark and look in all the gospels. This marks the advent of Jesus' journey to the cross. So far, it is preaching, teaching, miracles. Once they understood who Christ was, who God was, now he leads them to where he is going and that is the cross. Until then he never told this. From now on, Jesus' teaching to the disciples is marked by this one thing. I will die, I will rise on the third day. I will die, I will rise on the third day. From that time on. But he strictly charged them. Why did he charge them if this is who God is, if this is how they understood him to be, why did he tell them not to tell anybody? Listen, I I believe there are three reasons. When I I look at the scriptures, or in my understanding, I, I believe there are three reasons. Number one, number one, their image of Jesus is still idolish. Because in their understanding, though they understood he is the son of the living God, Jesus the savior and the Christ, they still had a military Jesus in their mind. A person who will go into, is going to conquer the Roman army and everything by the sword. Are you understanding? So basically Jesus said, do not proclaim. Number two, and I want you to give me your undivided attention here please. Number two, the gospel is not complete yet. You ever wondered why Jesus, even after his resurrection, did not tell them to go, but wait until the spirit of God has come? It's very interesting. Why? Because the gospel is not complete until the revelation of complete understanding of the gospel has been given to you by the spirit. And then Jesus says, do not go. So number one, they had still an idol of Jesus in their heads, military Jesus. That's why constantly they were saying, who will be on the right, who will be the left? Who's going to be the home, who's going to be the defense minister? And Jesus said, nothing doing. Can you drink of the cup that I am going to drink of? They still didn't have a clear understanding. Second reason is, the gospel is not complete. But the question then is, when will the gospel be complete? The verses are not going to be flashed there. If you have, if you brought your Bibles, could you please go to Romans 1, please? I didn't give him intentionally, but if you can, please. Romans 1. Romans 1. What is the gospel? Look at Romans verse 1, verse 1. And I'm going to take you through at least 10 or 15 verses. You don't have to go through the entire verse. I want you to identify the word where the preposition of is used. Okay? Of God. Okay? Look at this. What is the gospel here? Louder. Gospel of God. Look at Revelation, Romans 1, 4. If you're going to... The Son of God. So what is the gospel? It is the gospel of God, the good news of God. What is the good news? It is of, or basically the Son of God. Now the question is, what is the Son of God going to do? Verse 16, He is the power of God. I'm just going to run through these verses. Verse 17, why is he the power of God? Because he will reveal the righteousness of God. Why do I need the righteousness of God? Verse 18 says, because I must be saved from the wrath of God. Why do I need the wrath of God? Because verse 22 and of chapter 1 and verse 23 of chapter 3 says that I have exchanged the glory of God. Hence fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 says, God in his great power, righteousness, to help me escape from his wrath, to reveal his glory, showed me the love of God. There's only one verse in the New Testament which says God demonstrated his love. There are other places where God says lavished his love. But if you want to see a demo of God's love, it is not when he gives you the highest salary or prolongs your life. It is when Jesus died on the cross. 
So look at this. The gospel is the gospel of God, which is about the son of God, which is the power of God, who reveals the righteousness of God, to save you from the wrath of God, because you have fallen short of the glory of God, to help you come back to the glory of God. He has revealed the life or love of God, which is called the gift of God, Romans 6.23, through which he makes you the children of God, which in Romans 11 is called the wisdom of God. Therefore, we are commanded to worship because of the mercies of God. Has this all been completed when Jesus spoke this? No. And hence what did Jesus say? Strictly don't preach. My friends listen. There is so much nonsense going on around. And we must guard ourselves. I know of people who once were looked up to are falling. Why? Number one they have never received the true gospel. Never received the true gospel. See there is, there is false gospel. Basically glorifying man instead of God. And there is half the gospel. What does half the gospel say? Jesus came to forgive your sins. Half the gospel. What is the full gospel? Look at the first sermon ever preached in the church. Acts chapter 2 verse 36. Apostle Peter says, let all the house of Israel know that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ or Savior. My friends, listen. Three words are used. Jesus, Lord, Christ. Jesus means Savior. Lord means the one who rules. Christ means the King. The anointed ruler who became your Savior. That is the full gospel. And that is what has been preached by them when the Spirit of God came upon them when the complete revelation has been given. Until then, Jesus said, don't proclaim. Now, why did I take the pains of taking you through this whole thing? Just to tell you one thing. In your life, you will not see the power of the gospel work working in you to save people until... You have the complete revelation and the transformative work of the power of revelation working in you. That is why, listen, God doesn't just give us a message. He makes us the message. He did not say you will do witnessing. You will be, be, be. And it is hard to escape the witnessing power of the spirit in the life of a person whose foundation is Christ. Whose proclamation is not only preached but seen. Francis of Assisi, one of the wonderful statements I've read of his is preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. We live the opposite way. We think preaching gospel is only words. No. Let the life, let the vessel be ready. My friend used to say, he's still working, he's in ministry in one of the um, rural parts of Tamil Nadu. He tells me, when somebody cooks a good dish, nobody says, which vessel did you use? What do they say? Who cooked it? Who cooked it? The point is this, my friends. If this is the revelation, if the communication happens through the word of God, and if it leads you to the foundation that Christ must be the king, and what shall be the proclamation, not the false gospel, not the not half the gospel, the full gospel, which must first take place in you. You ever wondered, Jonah initially said, I won't go, preach the gospel. Finally, did he go, preach the gospel? Yes. Oh, why was he still unhappy? You can still do the will of God and be unhappy until you learn to love the will of God. Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal said, for the knowledge of God, is far, far away from the love of God. I can say so much, but only God knows my life. You may not say anything. God knows your life. Understood? Gospel is not just preached by preachers, but by people who are ruled by Jesus the King. 
for he does the witnessing work in you and through you does this mic does it matter to this mic if i use this as a microphone or as a cricket bat doesn't matter because it lost its rights over itself it's just a vessel does it matter to you if jesus is the king how he uses you it matters to you if he doesn't use you according to your entitlements as long as you don't die one of the greatest apologists of the early church was stephen he was asked to take care of the refreshments in the church gift and calling were two different things but he was doing what he was given to do when the time came it was a blast right the blood of the martyrs is the seed for the gospel and that became or rather one of the points which god used to bring Saul into his kingdom to use him as Paul so what do we see number 1 revelation who god is what are the features of a born again person of a church that is truly christ revelation god as he is and that only happens through the word of god the way in which god communicates which leads us to the foundation that jesus is the christ the king who must rule every area of your life may i just say this you can know if god is ruling in you or not by the way you use your free time number 2 by the way you joke because that gives away that really gives away in other words what brings humor to you what makes you delight what brings delight to you that gives it away fourthly foundation there is demonstration fourthly there is proclamation every believer every charles spurgeon right every believer is a missionary or an impostor every believer fifth one fifth one in every true born again believer in church there is confrontation of the enemy look at verse 23 22 peter uh, sam can we go back there matthew 16 22 and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying i don't know if there's anybody in the bible who rebuked the lord <laughs> May I say this Peter is basically voicing out everybody else's opinions You might as well say Nehemiah took Jesus aside and rebuked him You might as well say Pastor Vijay did you might as well say Peter did this Peter you you know took him aside and began to rebuke him albeit he was a little courteous took him aside right Yeah And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying far be it from you lord this shall never happen to you but Jesus or he turned Jesus turned to Peter and said what get behind me must have freaked out Peter must have freaked out what get behind me satan you are a hindrance to me that is to satan for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man that is to peter i believe fifth one in every believer's life you will have to face both god and satan but the confrontation takes place in a different way you know what we do listen to this this is what we do we fight satan and we fight god too god says submit to me i will fight satan you read that verse i'm sure many times submit yourselves to god that's the equation not fight the devil submission say it will shuru it will start you submit to god because the power in you is greater than the one in the world and he will fight 
he will give you the power to resist if i go to the gym and look at a a, a picture of arnold schwarzenegger and tell my gym coach listen i want to become like this and then he tells me okay good lift this 100 kg dumbbell 100 times can i do it no but imagine if he tells me will you totally give away your life to me and i say yes and he takes over my life my habits everything and he holds my hands can i lift it oh yes i am the person the power is his and here how do you confront the enemy peter a breath ago said you are christ his mouth his mind was used by god the father through the spirit to give the greatest revelation and in no time it was hijacked by satan again and then jesus had to rebuke him saying far be it from you my friends listen there are only four times in the bible where the voice of satan appears or is recorded genesis 3 what did he do he distorted the word job chapter 1 what did he do in an indirect way challenged the word because people can't be saved by grace they can't be preserved by grace in the third time matthew chapter 4 when he met jesus what did he do misinterpret the word always take things out of context he said it is written jesus said it is also written fourth time is here and what does he do deviate you from the word listen how do we confront the enemy how do we fight satan i want to place before you a few things look at romans chapter 8 was 5 to 9 for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the but those who live according to the spirit can we read that next plus those who live according to the spirit now what does the spirit of god do once you are born again he takes your mind and he doesn't set your his mind on you sorry your mind on him he sets your mind on his things and therefore what happens suddenly you will begin to not just hunger after god hunger for righteousness holiness you see god's things so the way god makes you fall in love with him is by making you fall in love with the things he loves and what does he love his glory and he makes you fall in love with his glory for thus then shall a man say not to us o lord not to us but to your name be glory so how do we confront the enemy number one by letting our mind so that's why jesus says you are a hindrance to me because your mind so how does satan hijack our mind by taking your mind away from the things of god and by placing your mind on the things of man i want everybody in case you're sleeping wake up and listen to this one thing i heard one thing from this pulpit by pastor james that struck a chord with me he said every single thing that is advertised everywhere is basically targeted at your mind and i agree with him now because you see a poster of a movie let's call it amoral which means it is not evil nor nor is it good it's just amoral let's say a movie like ms dhoni but it is still not from god it's still the things of man it's not evil by mind you that's why the psalmist prays in psalm 119 turn my eyes away from not sinful things worthless things john wesley would say i count everything based on the value they will give me in eternity so every single thing that is happening is basically directed by the enemy not just evil things even good things as a things of man not as a things of god that is why when paul says to glorify god you don't have to change the activity change the attitude and hence he says whether you eat or drink not when you come to god not when you pray worship preach no 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 begin with the smallest things and here what is happening is this satan hijacked the mind of the apostle by moving his mind from the things of god to things of man now the question is how did he do this 
How did he do this? Simply by juggling the value systems. And he does it so cleverly. How? Let me take you to a few verses. How does Satan basically operate? Right? How does the enemy operate and how do we confront him? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. And I want you to follow my train of thought here. Look at this. And you were dead. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Before that, okay, let's say. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Basically, this was the life of an unbeliever. But how did you walk? The description is given. So number one, you are following the, other words, you are following the value system of the world. Right? And then, who is controlling the value system of this world? Satan, right? Prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of Ask you this question. Who are the sons of disobedience? Everybody who is louder. Every unbeliever is a son of disobedience. Now in every son of disobedience, who is working? The spirit of the prince of the power of the air. How does he work? By putting in them the value system of the world. I think it's clear. It's just plain and clear. So how does Satan operate? By putting in us, using the unsaved of this world, creating a value system and placing that value system as an objection to the knowledge of God. No wonder Paul then says, our weapons are not weapons of flesh, but of divine power to bring down, to tear down what? You don't fight. Listen, if a terrorist comes into this place, you don't fight the terrorist by shooting his gun. Get it? So we don't fight evil by fighting against immorality. We fight the evil by fighting the terrorist. And if you really want to fight terrorism, you will tackle the idea of terrorism, not just the terrorist. Are you understanding? And that only church can do. And that only you and I can do. And I believe, I'm praying that God will rise up men and women in our generation who will, who will stand in this generation for his glory to confront the enemy to display the manifold wisdom of God and the power of God that is given to us for his own glory I pray you shall be and I shall be the one so how does Satan operate how does Satan come by juggling the value system what is the value system every unsaved person irrespective of how morally good they are everybody is operated by a value system created by Satan and that value system is basically in opposition to God otherwise Otherwise, what does Bantia Furniture Advertisement got to do with a seductive woman sitting up there? What does Nanga Nach got to do with IPL cricket match? What does close-up toothpaste got to do with a man and a woman coming to kiss each other? They're not just selling a philosophy. They're not just selling a product, a philosophy. A philosophy is being sold. At one level, man is sold out and therefore he is selling products. But behind the scenes... Satan is pulling the threads. And there's a value system that is presented. And it is at work. It is at work. And then there, no wonder Paul says, I want you to be aware of his schemes. He's a schemer. And listen. I think John Piper would say this. Satan wants you to believe that your pro- wife is the problem. Your husband is the problem. No. No. God wants you to believe you are the problem. You don't have a problem. You are the problem. Submit to me and I will work in you. How do you confront the enemy? By submitting to God. Not by fighting the enemy. 
And what happens when you submit? The mind is set on the things of God. And then you will be able to distinguish between good and evil like Hebrews chapter 5 says. You will be able to distinguish and say. You know when an average cricketer stands in the crease to face his balls as 0.35 seconds to not only face the ball but to choose his placement of shot. 0.35 seconds. How well they are trained to hit boundaries when the ball comes at 150 kilometers per hour. How much more you and I should be trained by the word of God, the word of righteousness as Hebrews 5 says, so that we wrestle with the enemy who is coming up with schemes. So how does Satan confront us? Value system of the world. Where does his value system begin? Can I say this? The strongest bastion of Satan is religion. False religion. That is why the first bunch of people in the New Testament who were called the children of the devil were the most religious people available at that time. Pharisees. John 8. Jesus could look at them and say, you children of the devil, your father is Satan. He didn't even do that when he looked at the demon possessed man. He asked, what's your name? My friends, there's one devil that is obvious. You can pray and the Lord will work. But the one that is invisible is the dangerous. Religion in the east. Reasoning in the west. Why would I say that? False religion is Satan's strongest bastion. Number two, reasoning that is godless. Romans 1.22 says, right? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And what did they do? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Remember this. Peter received the revelation but was not conformed by the revelation. Knowledge of God, love of God are two things. So we looked at five things. We are coming to an end. We looked at five things. What marks, what are the key features of a believer and a church that is truly Christ? Revelation given through communication of the word brings you to the foundation of Christ being the king of every area of your life which leads you to a demonstration that is seen by the gospel preaching and by victory over the enemy and by being in alignment with heaven. And then the fifth one is by proclamation, not the wrong gospel, but the right gospel, becoming the gospel, being the gospel, and giving the gospel. And the sixth one, confrontation. Uh, the fifth one, confrontation. There's only one way to fight the enemy out. Submit, submit, submit. I always used to wonder why God didn't show up when Satan was doing his trickery to deceive Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God was there. Invisible but present. How? In his word. Can you go to Genesis 2? Could you flash that verse please? Genesis 2 verse 16 and 17. Did I give you that? Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Look at this. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may. Number one, when God said that you have freedom. Number two, what did he say? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. God said you have freedom. Your freedom is not absolute. Which means, if you want to enjoy your freedom, it must be governed by my sovereignty. Therefore, you shall not eat from this knowledge, the tree that gives you the knowledge of good. In other words, God is saying, I will decide what is good and what is evil. What I say is good is good. What I say evil is evil. I am the definer of all definitions. So God is saying, your freedom is there, but your absolute freedom will not be there. It will be governed by me. Your freedom will be enhanced when you come to me for meaning for everything. And then what does he say? When you, the day you eat of it, louder. Surely die. In other words, God is saying, I don't want you to die. Let's reverse the formula. I want you to live. 
And there's only one way to live, that is obedience. And there's only one way to live in true obedience, that is by knowing the meaning of the reality of every definition, that is me. And that is absolute freedom. Aren't these the things that the world is fighting for endlessly from ages? They said there have been 420 or 248 peace treaties made. All were broken. The amount of money we spent on wars could have probably helped us buy a belt around the planet Earth. You can't even prove me wrong on that because I don't even know where I checked it long ago. But the point is this. Freedom, freedom is given in the word, in submission to the word, which brings you freedom, pleasure, meaning and absolute eternal life. Let's move to the sixth one. Sixth one. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. <coughs> Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will. Sixth one, submission. How do you know? How do you know if a person is truly upon the foundation of Christ and confronting the enemy, proclaiming the gospel? This is the truth. Sooner or later, sooner or later, Judas and the disciples will be separated. It's just a matter of time. Sooner or later, people who are walking on the narrow way and the broad way in this church will be separated. Because ultimately God said, I will build my church. He's running this business. Okay? In this very congregation, there could be parents or children who will move away from Christ. And I am afraid to say this. There shall be an eternity of Christlessness forever tormented in the lake of fire. And I beg you tonight, this this morning, to come, to come, to come before it is too late. Jesus said, if anyone, if anyone, no concession, no recommendation, anyone at any time, at any age, wants to follow me, the only path is just decide who the king is. Deny yourself. Number two, take up the cross. Mark says daily. Why? Why should we take up daily? Because our old nature have this in, has this incredible property of resurrection. During the time of sermon, you kill it. By the time your children screw up your happiness, he comes back. Submission. Anybody wants to follow me? First pause point. Deny yourself. Second thing. Take up your cross, which means you must choose to die to your old nature. But hallelujah, the power is provided by Him. We cannot do it. For all religion does some sort of crucifixion of the old nature. But it will never, never overcome. Because what is killing the old nature in every religion is the very nature that deceives them. But here, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, who empowers us to kill the old nature. Old nature. And that's why Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live the life I live. Now, I live in the Son of God by faith. So submission. Jesus says, this is an invitation. If you want to follow me, this is my invitation card. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and then you will follow me. You can't reverse the order. You can't see Christ before dying to yourself. You can't die to yourself unless you learn to deny yourself. And this is not a new option. Adam and Eve had the same option. The children of Israel had the same option. All those who rejected Christ had the same option. And you and I are also presented with the same option. The ultimate fight is not between good and evil. 
is not between Caesar and Christ. It is not between heaven or hell or God or Satan. It is between God and me. Deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. Look at this. For whoever would, can we read that? For whoever would save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake will. In this paradox, you find the meaning of life. For which man so far in this universe, by gaining his life, really found it? All died and are gone. But Jesus said, if you give me, I will give you eternal life. Look at Luke 12, 15. And Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Can we read that part please church? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his. <laughs> Only God can speak like that. That is Jnan Vanon. That is truth. No man can find life in the abundance of his possessions. What Jesus is saying is, Jeff Bezos and a dying beggar are the same. The other person lives in the deception that he has life because he has wealth. We all live like that. We all live by this false formula. I am what I wear. I am how much I earn. I am whom I am married to. We all try to derive our definition about life from those things. Foolish! Foolish! Jesus says your life does not consist there. Therefore, a true believer will constantly say, Lord, I submit. Was it Corrie ten Boom or Emima Carmichael who said this? I have learned to hold the things of this world with loose hands so that when he pulls them out, it doesn't bleed. Why would Paul otherwise say, consider my life worth nothing? Exaggeration? No. Probably that's closest to the reality of life that we can see on this side of eternity. Somebody said following Jesus is costly. Not following him is costlier. Let's go to the last part. So let's quickly brush through this. God, if you are belong to Christ, if you are a born again person in a true church, you have the revelation of who God is. Only through the communication of the word by the spirit. Which leads you to the foundation of Christ being the head of every area of your life. Which propels you to be the proclaimer of the right gospel by being the gospel. Which teaches you to confront the enemy by submitting yourself to the Lord. Which brings you to absolute, absolute submission. Last one. Preparation. Look at verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing there who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Every born again person, every true church ultimately, truly prepares for eternity. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You can't put the meaning of eternity in better words than that. Jesus is saying, go, go. I challenge you, go. Chase the world. Everything that you want. If you can, gather it. Unless you are a Solomon, you will not say. At the end, this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. You can't say unless you are a Solomon, at least who came to God. And see what God, God is, Jesus is saying the same thing. What does it profit? What does it profit? 
So, so don't go around like you lost everything. You are the richest people trading this planet. The wisest, the strongest, the most joyous people trading this planet. Really. Die in the best way possible. Die in the most glorifying way to God possible. Not just live. Die. And you cannot live until you have died to your old nature. So preparation cannot happen until we have submitted totally. And C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis in his talks in the BBC show says this, those who have done a lot to this world are those who have thought about the next world. And if Christians have stopped doing anything to this world, it is because they have stopped thinking about the next one. See what Jesus says, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with His angels. Pastor Vijay recommended me to listen to Dr. Chuck Missler. And one of the things that I heard from him is for every one prophecy about the first coming, there are eight about the second. And has the first coming taken place? Second coming will come with a thumping, thumping victory. He'll come back. 85% of the prophecies are done. 15 are remaining. We are the only ones who knows how the game ends. Gear up. Prepare. How do you know you are preparing? The more you prepare for eternity, the more you will work here. The more you will work here. Why would Paul, before dying, say, I know there is a crown of life for me? How dare he say that? He lived according to the manual. Simple. He didn't die. He's saying, he's just waiting. I need to go and take it. Are they great men? No. He's a great God. He's a great God. Paul means little. That's the meaning. What did he do with that little? God. God. It's about God. God is about God. And we should be about God. Prepare. God. There are two judgments. We know that, right? Second Corinthians 5.10 Believer's judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Right? To receive what we have done in the body, good or evil. But Revelation 20.11 to 15 says, Everybody's name who is not written in the book of life shall be thrown into the lake of fire. My friends, please... If there's anybody here this morning, because I'm not assuming that everybody is born again. If there's anybody here, make sure you know your name is written in the book of life. Because if your Aadhaar card is lost, you can apply for it again. Really. Anything happens, the most terrible thing in this life can in some way, can in some way be regained. But there, no second chances. For you would have crossed Finally, the threshold of mercy and patience of God. So the question, how does one prepare for eternity? Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21. I love these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Is Jesus against our money? No. Because he knows it will deteriorate. Right? It loses its value. But what should we do? Lay up for yourselves? Now wait a minute. What is the word used there? Lay up. Treasures. Other versions, store up. He is not saying, I will store up for you. The command and the demand is on you. You store up. You lay up. You me? You store up, you lay up. Because the value never decreases in eternity. How many of you have bank accounts? How many of you have ATM cards? How many of you use it regularly? So therefore you should be knowing how much money is there in your account. Okay? How much of your account is money is there in the heavenly account? See? Paul, for the common daily needs of the people in the church, he said, shall supply? 
and why daily needs why is he talking about the riches of Christ because their eyes were constantly on the treasure chest of heaven listen I am only preaching I am probably just as worse as you are if there is anybody like me it's for all of us let's set our eyes there Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. He said, you can never take your money with you, but you can send it ahead of you. You can. Lay up. Lay up. Not just money. See what? How to lay up. Go to First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. As for the rich in this present age, so if you're aspiring to be a rich man, praise God. But there's a command. What should you do? Command them or charge them not to be haughty, not to, be put, their, not to put their hopes in, hope uh, in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do what? Good, be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. What will they do by doing this? Wow. So how do I store up a treasure for myself? By doing good. What good can be there more than bringing people into his kingdom? For if I give all my wealth to the poor in the world, the problem is they will eat and die and go to hell. But if I can preach the gospel, they may die soon, but live forever. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, the last verse. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting? Is it not you? For you are our... May it be said in eternity that God in His sovereign grace not only elected, not only chose the end, but the means being you for some to come into eternity. One person once I heard say, uh, in this camp, I, through the testimony of Nehemiah or preaching, I came to know the Lord. That thrilled my heart. From that time I began to say, Lord, if it's your will, I want to see the fruit. I want to see the fruit. I want to see the fruit. All glory to you, but this is my desire. I can't, there's no surprises to you, you know me. I want to see the fruit. Show me. Show me. My friends, a true church, a true born again person has the revelation of God through the communication of the word by the spirit goes to the foundation that Christ becomes the all the head for that person begins a, becomes the proclaimer of the gospel by confronting the enemy by submitting to the Lord for he prepares himself for eternity. Let me close with what Jonathan Edwards said. Jonathan Edwards said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs so that everything I see, I see it from the perspective of eternity. The gospel is not a torchlight that we are trying to throw from earth to heaven to show people some gimmicks. It is a floodlight that God is shedding from eternity, from heaven and beckoning the people to come to him through the church. Shall we look to God in prayer? Shall we all stand up this morning in the presence of God? He has spoken to our hearts so clearly. Father, we just thank you for the banquet that you've set before us. Father, it is that sure sign, O Lord, that you love us, that you still speak to us on this side of eternity so that we can prepare ourselves so that as we, as we heard, we can make our calling and election sure. So that there will be no surprises when we go on to the other side.
But Lord, as Peter says, a rich entrance will be provided for each one of us. Even as we enter into the other side of eternity. And I pray, as we heard this morning, that we will prepare ourselves. That Lord, eternity will be stamped in our eyes and our hearts. And we will live our lives in the light of eternity. We bless your holy name. Forgive us, O Lord, when we have taken our eyes off you and wasted our time on things that don't matter. Things of man rather than the things of God. Forgive us for skewing up and convolving the value system of God and changing it and exchanging it for the value system of this world. Father, forgive us. I pray, Father, you challenge our hearts, Lord, this morning. Jesus, don't let the enemy steal the word, but let it bear fruit in our lives, even a hundredfold, for that is your perfect will for every one of us. And may we, may we be found on that straight and narrow path. To that end I pray, you will bless this word, bear fruit in our lives, and bring glory for your sake. We thank you, we praise you. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. So the very grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with us. And let it continue to work in us. Let your word burn in our hearts through this week. Until we meet the next time. In Jesus name. Amen.